A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hello, Mel Woods, Associate Culture Editor at Extra Magazine. Mel, today we're going to do a different kind of media criticism and talk about Mike Myers' atrocious Canucksploitation Netflix series. Everybody seems to agree that it's garbage, except for Canadians. Also, please, I implore you, writes Post Media founder Paul Godfrey, do not believe the fake news that I published. Conservative candidate Patrick Brown does not support Palestinians. Heaven forbid. Welcome back to Shortcuts, Mel, where we talk shit about the news. Thanks so much for having me. Today's episode is brought to everybody by Rob Zhang, Justin Robinson, Jeff Williamson, Carly Boyce, Lena Genoda, Alex Manassas, John Coulter, and Josh. Hi, my name's Josh, and I live in St. John's on the island of Newfoundland, where I work as a professor of geography. I support Canaland because I love all their shows, but I'm giving a special shout-out to Fatima Sayed's excellent interviews on the backbench and Archie Mann's work on Commons, where I learn things I really should know by now, but don't. Thanks, Canadaland. And Mel, before we get into the show today, a lot of supporters have been asking me, when is this French language version of Shortcuts going to debut with Emily Nicolas? It was something that you had talked about in the last crowdfunding campaign. Where is this show? And I'm so thrilled to tell everybody that uh, it debuts this weekend. The first episode, it is called Detour. Detours? I'm sorry about my pronunciation. I don't know how to say detours. I've just been corrected. It's Detour. It debuts this Saturday. It's a show that I have trouble pronouncing and I won't be able to understand, and yet I am publishing it and I am proud to do so. Um, This is going to be great. I think, Mel, we may be the first English 
current affairs news broadcaster in Canada to ever like just go bilingual, just to start also publishing in French. I don't know that that's ever happened before in the history of Canadian current affairs news. That's huge, uh, as, as the French would say. Très bien. Okay, check it out. It'll be on your feeds this weekend. Mel, the show is called The Pentaveret. It, uh, it bills itself as a story of an unlikely Canadian journalist who finds himself embroiled in a mission to uncover the truth and just possibly save the world himself. Let's hear the trailer. There is something rotten within the Pentaveret. I got a plan to get you in. What do you have to lose if you break a story like the Pentaveret? You can do something good for this world. Where were you born? Well, actually, I was born in Toronto. No, you were born in your mother's ass. Well, that's less than kind and impossible. Mel, we asked you to watch the Pentaveret in preparation for this episode, and I want to start with an apology. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a, a journey. Um, an experience. I've watched a lot of bad things in my time. I'll admit I couldn't get all the way through it. I mean, just to kind of get people up to speed, this is one of these Netflix projects where they seem to have handed a blank check to a big star. And it's the return of Mike Myers. He's been out of the picture for anything major since, I guess, Shrek? Oh, you're forgetting about the love guru. The love guru was his last big thing, and it was so bad. That's why he's been gone for so long. In, like, 2007, 2008, I remember watching it in my friend Chantel's basement in Red Deer. It was not good. Yeah, I did forget about the love guru. Uh, maybe Mike Myers wants us to forget about the love guru um, and, and when, instead wants us to talk about the pentaveret. But, oi, oi, it's like memories of Austin Powers where he's like plays 18 characters with like grotesque rubber masks and such. The level of humor is like the central character is a Canadian caricature named Ken Scarborough, who is a reporter for CACA News. Kaka news. So that's kind of the like where we're operating here. It's very uh, highbrow humor, uh, as as they say. I am not talking about this with you just to dump on this terrible show. I want to talk about it with you because of the kind of like the hoser. We, like we we occasionally return to this media trope, like of the hoser. Hollywood, I think, has a history of being really uneasy to acknowledge that Canadians exist and always changing things from, even like Mike Myers when he debuted with Wayne's World, which was obviously like a Canadian rock dude, uh, mullethead kind of guy, they had to set it in Chicago because the idea is that like American audiences' brains will explode if you're like, there's this place called Canada. So the only way you ever see Canadians portrayed is with a very specific kind of Canadian trope character. And that's what I want to discuss today, because that's sort of what he embodies in this character, Ken Scarborough. Let, let's hear a little bit of Mike Myers' Ken Scarborough here. I haven't had this much fun since I was at a nudist colony and accidentally backed into a meat thermometer. But wherever you go with the Sportsman Show, you're never too far from a couple of lovely ladies. Ken Scarborough, CACA News. From all of us at CACA Toronto News, good night and do your best, eh? Up next, Canada's favorite quiz show, Close Enough, where to win, you only have to be close enough. Mrs. Snee, what did you think of my piece tonight? 
Ken, we should talk. It's about time we talk about your future. I have things to say about this, but I'm, I'm curious what your take was. I mean, on the first level, I think I often take issue with these like Canadian stereotypes as somebody who has never lived in Ontario in my life. It's like they're all just Ontario stereotypes. Uh, Canada is a lot bigger than uh, the Ontario accent. Um, I, I say always as somebody who grew up in Alberta and lives in BC now. Uh, and I take personal offense that our stereotypes are never included in these things. It's always the 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 Scarborough of it all, if you will. And yeah, I mean, it's just copying things that we've seen for so long, going back to Bob and Doug McKenzie and all of these ideas that Canada is somehow nicer than America, which has given many Canadians this kind of complex, I think, that that we love to lord over America in our everyday lives. And I think a lot of it originates from media portrayals like this. I think that's right. I think it all gets traced back to Bob and Doug McKenzie for sure. Here they are. Okay. Good day. Welcome to the Great White North uh, Canadian Corner. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? And today's topic, what was it? Uh, how well, come Americans yeah, right, have, right, like, right. twist-off beer cap? Yeah, okay. And so, like, Canadians don't. The funny thing about that is that, like, it's sort of like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Like, Bob and Doug McKenzie became the template for, like, a shorthand in, in comedy for, like, what a Canadian sounds like. But the origin story of this, and, and our old show, The Imposter, did a great episode on this, but the origin story of Bob and Doug was that they when they moved that show SCTV over to the CBC, they had this extra two minutes to fill and the CBC gave them this like, you know, very standard CBC marching orders. Can you just do two minutes that are like really Canadian? And, you know, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas were like, well, we're all Canadian. How can it not be Canadian enough? What do you want? Do you want us to sit around and like talk about hockey and drink beers? And like, so that's what they did. Like it was a fuck you. But that became the template and it's like everybody is just doing a bad impersonation of Bob and Doug. And I don't know. To unpack it a bit, there are ways to get offended by it. Like, even the Scarborough thing is, like, that might be true of the Scarborough that, like, Mike Myers remembers when he lived here, like, 40 years ago. But it's kind of ironic or revealing, maybe, that the character's name is Ken Scarborough, and it's this white Ontario archetype. Because, like, Scarborough, there's, there are a few places that are more indicative of, like, how different Canada looks. And if you were to make fun of Canadians, that's not the Canadian you'd be making fun of. There's a lot to make fun of in Scarborough. Like Six Buzz has created an entire business of, of mocking Scarborough and Scarberians, and none of them are like Ken Scarborough characters, you know? That's one way to get offended if you want to. You unpack it a bit as you were doing, and, it, and like the joke, it's not that offensive. It's not that offensive a joke because the joke is that we're kind of harmless. Like we're silly. Canadians are backwards. Our clothes look cheap and out of date. The production values of our television are very low. Our haircuts are bad. And maybe even we're, we're, we're a little bit dumb. I moved here from Canada and they think I'm slow, eh? But it doesn't really get more savage than that. Like, it, it, part of the joke is actually that we're not savage. Like, that we're so polite and nice and apologetic and non-threatening. We're like these, like, gnomes that appear in various types of comedies for a bit of comic relief. You know, like these helpful little elf creatures or something. Oh, definitely. And I, I mean, one of my favorite kind of pop culture Canadians was always uh, on How I Met Your Mother, Robin's past as a Canadian pop star, Robin Sparkles. The references that came about that where she, you know, sang a song called Two Beavers Are Better Than One and toured across the malls and then had an Alanis Morissette dark turn. Space Jeans Algebra Challenge. While you figure it out at home, how about we sing you a song about our beavers? <laughs> Two beavers are better than one. Da, 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 da. 
like, okay, those were, I, f- I found a lot of kind of fun and connection in seeing those kinds of references, uh, especially like as a kid and as a teenager, when you didn't think too hard about what showing this country to ourselves uh, as being quote unquote harmless kind of means on the broader scale. And it's kind of like uh, a bit of a little thrill when you're watching American stuff to, to be seen, you know, that's based on Alanis or like, but like, it, it feels like at least there's some cognizance and you wonder if there was a Canadian in the writer's room. Like, I don't get offended, Mel, in the like, how dare you mock me, you know, kind of way. Like, like that's not what bugs me. What bugs me about it is that it doesn't bear any relation. It's like if somebody's doing uh, an imitation of you and it it doesn't, like, they didn't even take the time to observe you or to imitate you well. If, if your company is at, like, a company conference and you hire a comedian who does, like, an impersonation of the boss and they took the time to get it right, like, that's great. That's an entertainer who's doing good service, you know? And even the boss can, like, okay, I can take a joke. But Mike Myers is doing this, like, it's not for us, you know? It's, it's like, hey, here's what Canadians sound like, eh, to an American audience, and we're kind of cut out of the deal. Like nobody bothered to actually take the time to mock us properly. And, and we're not the intended audience. It's to be laughed at by a different audience. That's what's always bugged me about this kind of thing. But here's the thing this time around. And really why I want to talk about it with you. This time around, the Americans aren't into it. The Pentaveret is bombing spectacularly in the States. Okay, uh, Variety just reported uh, Netflix top 10, Mike Myers bomb, the Pentaveret doesn't make the cut. It didn't even, on its debut, a huge star like Mike Myers didn't even make the top 10. They called it, the Pentaveret is just the latest example of Netflix's blank check bloat. Uh, Roper said a profoundly unfunny series of sex and poop jokes. Critics are saying that this is really what's wrong with Netflix and it's, it's being widely savaged. But do you know where it is a hit and where it cracked the top 10? Oh, I'm going to guess that it rhymes with uh, True North, Strong, and We. You got it. Like, we are actually the people who are into this, or at least most into this. We are digging the Pentaveret. Like, I feel like finally something shifted in the wider entertainment media where Hollywood can do a film like Turning Red. And it's like, it's okay. It's set in Toronto. And no, they don't, it doesn't have to be filled with beaver and moose jokes. And people don't have to speak with this strange rural Ontario meets maritime meets kind of nowhere accent. It's actually okay to reflect the multiculturalism of Canada in Hollywood depiction. Like, you know, there was even like a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's their recurring sketch, Black Jeopardy, and Drake plays a black guy who happens to be from Toronto, and his vernacular and his accent are like, you know, kind of strange and foreign to the American black contestants on Black Jeopardy, and the sketch is sort of about how there are different ways to be black, and it's not entirely a successful sketch, but it's actually grappling with interesting stuff. Yeah, it's actually really good to be here, dog. You know, like, I couldn't take the TTC, but man's made it over anyway, so I'm excited, dog. <laughs> Say, what's going on with your accent there, Jared? Oh, me? Well, I'm actually Canadian. I'm a Canadian man. I'm from Toronto, but I'm ready. I came, I came to play, so let's do this, all right? <laughs> Wait, you're a black Canadian? Obviously, dog. I mean, like, yo, there's thousands of us. I'm sure you've met a few of us before. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Never one feels like some indication that like the world might be ready for different portrayals of Canadians. Yeah, I mean, I think that Canadians still like to believe a certain image about ourselves and believe that 
Americans are getting a certain image of ourselves and that kind of depictions like this of us being kind of harmless and bumbling and nice really help lean into not, you know, noticing the things that do happen here that are not good uh, and are bad. I mean, in the show, there's his like sidekick wears a shirt at one point that says like Canada living the American dream without the violence since 1867. And it's like, that's, that's not how it works. That's not, I, I mean, you just have to look up at what's happening in Wet'suwet'en. You can, I mean, there are like dozens of examples uh, that I can point to of the fact that we have the same kind of violence that happens in the U.S. in different ways here. And I think a lot of Canadian viewers like to kind of, yeah, use, use pop culture like this as a bit of an escapist to forget that it happens here too and, and lean into the, oh, you know, well, it's better than in the States. It's better than America. Canadians are so much nicer. It's like, well, we... We do some fucked up things, too. And I think that we should remember that. It's interesting. Huh? It's I think after, I don't know, the, the Freedom Convoy rally and a lot of like the messaging, like Americans are starting to see a bit more of a nuanced picture of Canada. And I think that like, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of reasons why this is bombing on Netflix. But I think that that there's not an audience for like just loving this hilarious caricature as part of it. It might be that the last audience left for like, oh, we're a bunch of harmless hosers, eh? It might just be us. Like, we just might be telling that joke to ourselves and, and, and nobody else is really interested in it anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's simple and you don't have to think too hard about it and you don't have to think too hard about what's happening in this country. And for a lot of people, that works. I will give Mike Myers like the tiniest bit of credit uh, in that I I, uh, I assumed that this Ken Scarborough character was... Like I say, a photocopy of a photocopy, just his version of Bob and Doug and not not based on any real person. Like, I was a Mike Myers fan in high school because, like, I don't know, Wayne Campbell actually seemed like somebody that I might have known in high school. And, like, I, I like comedy that is well-observed and that is based on real people. And I think as he became more rich and, and a big superstar, his comedy was like, Austin Powers is a parody of media, of James Bond. Like, like it's, it's like he stopped knowing real people, you know? So I just assumed that Ken Scarborough wasn't based on anyone real. But it actually is based on a real Canadian reporter. And this was unearthed by uh, 1236 by Mark Weisblatt. And Retro Ontario has actually posted a archival clip of Glenn Cochran from CFTO News. And I can't help myself. Like, let's, let's just listen to this for a second. The occasion held at the Royal York Hotel was enlivened more than somewhat when a horse named Glenn that had been double parked outside tried to crash the party. Once order was restored, the Variety Club roast got underway. This is what he had to say about Paul Godfrey, who was leaving the Metro Chairman's Post to become publisher of the Toronto Sun newspaper. Here's a man that's been successful at everything he touches, except the Sunshine Girls. Glenn Cochran, CFTO News. And Mel, that uh, sexist joke about Paul Godfrey is how we do segues in the major leagues. So smooth. <laughs> we'll get to Paul Godfrey in a bit. Mel, we're going to duly note some stuff, and I want to start by duly noting where to begin. Okay, let's start with uh, Kirk McDonald. Kirk McDonald is the president of a company called Media Central, which purchased two newspapers that at one time were the biggest alternative news weeklies in Canada, Now Magazine and Georgia Strait. 
Have you been following the saga, the sort of sad saga of alternative news weeklies in Canada? Yeah, I actually live just around the corner from the old Georgia Strait office here in Vancouver, which is now some sort of like tech development place because uh, they don't have a newsroom here anymore. Um, it, it, is, it is quite sad to watch. Yeah, I mean, these are papers that at one time were really important culturally uh, to the music scenes, to sex work in these cities. Uh, journalistically, like there are so many writers who got their starts at these papers, like they really mattered to Toronto and, and to Vancouver. And there were papers like them throughout Canada, and they've just been disappearing and dropping like flies because the alt-weekly format is basically over. But now in the Georgia Strait, as the two biggest brands were still worth something as brands, Media Central scooped up those brands and then it's just been like really sad because they've just been kind of getting thinner and thinner and even the publishing schedules have been kind of interrupted. And then like the websites have been like weirdly filled with all this cannabis marketing stuff. And then behind the scenes, I'm hearing that the company is in trouble and their shareholder meetings and, you know, Kirk McDonald is getting called out. And next thing I know, I get a phone call from Kirk McDonald during all of this. And out of the blue, he's connecting with me. He sounds a little bit desperate. He says he wants to meet with me. Maybe there's like some kind of way in which like, you know, does Canada land maybe want to buy Media Central or maybe he could go raise money from investors if the deal included buying Canada land. I will confess I didn't really get my head around this or understand it. It just didn't sound like something that was right for us. I didn't meet up with him. Didn't sound good. The next time I see the name Kirk McDonald was this week where he has a byline on the websites of both Now Magazine and the Georgia Strait. And I checked with somebody at Now Magazine. It's the first time he's ever actually written for his newspapers. What has he written? Book reviews. It's weird. Uh, book reviews of a new book all about We Charity. Stay with me. The book is called What We Lost. Okay, and this book claims it's going to finally give you the other side of the We Charity story. The media has only been giving you one side. This is the other side, and We Charity did nothing wrong. It was the victims of politicians and sensationalist journalists. The book is written by Tofik Rangwala, who does disclose in the book that he was a board member of We Charity during the scandal, does not disclose, however, that he was a longtime buddy of Mark Kilberger's from high school, does not disclose that his law firm was paid over $500,000 Canadian from We Charity. Nevertheless, uh, he's the author of this book with the other side of the We Charity story, which is reviewed, as I say, in Now Magazine and the Georgia Strait. And at the end of the reviews, it says, sponsored content. You work for an alternative newspaper. I'm not familiar with the sponsored book review as something I've seen before. A sponsored book review written by your boss is really a, 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 new, a new one for me. It's weird stuff, but it's not the only weird thing because full-page newspaper ads for this book have been running like day after day in the Globe and Mail, the National Post, the Toronto Star, the Hill Times. This is a major campaign. You do not see ad campaigns like this for books really of any kind, let alone Canadian books. Like Margaret Atwood's new book does not get day after day of full page ads in national newspapers. This is easily a six-figure advertising budget for a book about a Canadian political scandal, which is published by a small um, conservative book publisher called Optimum Press. So I was curious about this, uh, obviously, and I asked Dean Baxendale, the publisher at Optimum, 
who is paying for these ads? Like, is your small press footing the bill or is there somebody else funding it? Even if you're writing the checks, is somebody else giving you the money to fund it? What's who, just, just that very simple, straightforward question. Who's paying for this ad campaign? He answers me by sending me a series of JPEGs, which are images of the book covers that he's published, not the Wee book, but a bunch of other books that he's published. And then he writes 25,000 copies sold worldwide. And I didn't exactly know what he meant by that, but I, I just said, like, look, can you answer the question, is your company footing the bill for these ads or is somebody else behind them? And then he just vanishes. He disappears. So I ask Tafik Rangwala, who's paying for the ads. He tells me I'm a bully and I should stop trying to silence him and stop trying to keep people from reading his book. Mel, this is a shaggy dog story. What do I want to duly note? I guess I want to duly note that when there's a massive national ad campaign, which is trying to change the public's mind about something, I think the public should be able to know who's paying for it. And I also think that anybody who is still interested in the We Charity scandal should absolutely go and read Tofik's book. I think the more perspectives we get on what happened, the better. Duly noted. What do you got? So some sad news in the kind of Canadian queer journalism space this week. Gerald Handen passed away on Monday. And Gerald Handen has a very deep connection to my publication, Extra. Uh, he was one of the founding members of The Body Politic, which was kind of our predecessor, the first queer publication in Canada. He remained on as a board member for a really long time. He's probably best known for going and becoming a professor at uh, now named Toronto Metropolitan University. And in 1995, a Toronto Sun reporter reported on the front page of the Toronto Sun that he also worked as a sex worker, something that Gerald was very kind of proud of and spoke openly about a lot uh, as this attempt to kind of name and shame him. And Gerald kind of bounce back even stronger from all of that. He's been a veteran of the scene for a, such a long time and his writing has been so influential to so many people. I mean, speaking kind of personally as a young journalist, as a young queer journalist, as a young trans journalist, it's it's because of people like him that I'm able to do the work I do in the way that I do it with the openness that I'm able to do it. And it's kind of just an honor to kind of been able to be around at the same time. He passed away uh, after a long illness on Monday. What I'm duly noting is uh, kind of the tributes that have been rolling in. He was beloved across so many different corners of the Canadian journalism community. We ran a, I think it ended up being like 7,000 word uh, tribute in Extra on Monday. And I really encourage folks to go read it because it's really just kind of first person notes from his friends, from his family, from the people who uh, loved him, who knew him, who learned from him and everything like that. And, and reading through that really uh, it just put a lot of things into perspective for me about uh, why we do the work we do, why the queer press does the work that we do, uh, and the importance of figures like Gerald, and and, and why uh, he'll be he'll be greatly missed. And the and the foreword to that piece is written by Ed Jackson, who was another uh, early body politicker um, and Pink Triangle Press member. You know, uh, Gerald's I've been working on a memoir for quite a long time that's actually set to come out later this summer called Immoral, Indecent, and Scurrilous, The Making of an Unrepentant Sex Radical, which is quite a title, if you ask me. And that'll be uh, dropping later this summer and I think is going to be a, a great kind of last gift from Gerald to to the world. Because, yeah, he's, he was a really important figure, a towering figure in queer journalism in Canada, in journalism in general. And a lot of people uh, are missing him this week. I'm going to read those tributes and extra and, and the book because, you know, 
I learned about this mostly through the obituary in the Globe and Mail. I was kind of vaguely aware of Gerald Hannon, but it was when I read the obituary, which is quite a fine piece of writing, but also just what a life. And I just was struck by what a huge oversight that I never had a chance or, or knew enough to reach out for an interview if that might have been possible in the early days of Canada Land, because Gerald's life is quite a story from Canadian journalism and the fight that you reference with what was then called Ryerson University about uh, the revelation of his work as a sex worker and the persecution he faced, but then the ultimate vindication, like it's, it's, I'm rarely cheering at the end of an obituary, but it made me just fascinated with this person. And um, it's sad when it's somebody's death that makes you want to engage with their work, but I'm going to engage with it. Duly noted. One last thing to duly note for our listeners, and this is a quick note about Canada Land Back, the Indigenous-led podcast about Indigenous stories that we only just launched a month ago. I want to duly note that we hit some bumps behind the scenes with Canada Land Back, and it's going to take us some time to get the project back on track. We are 100% committed to this project. It will continue. We crowdfunded for Canada Land Back. Some of you listening supported us specifically for that project. And some of you, some supporters, have been asking us to explain just what the heck is going on. We always try to provide as much transparency to our supporters as possible. So if you are a supporter and you would like to know a bit more about our internal situation, We've published a short bonus episode that you can listen to right now. It is in your premium feed waiting for you. Sit tight. I will let everyone know about future episodes of Canada Land Back as soon as I have that information. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. 
So, Mel, speaking of media executives stepping out of their offices and writing articles for the first time, may I read to you from the writings of one Paul Godfrey? Oh, please, please enlighten me. This is from an article that ran on May 7th as an opinion column in the National Post, Paul Godfrey, special to the National Post. The headline is Opinion, My Advocacy, Media, Politics, Religion, and Patrick Brown. And here's what uh, Paul Godfrey wrote. I have never written or used post media as a platform to express my personal views. To be clear, we at Post Media have a fantastic group of journalists who can express opinions far better than I can. But this time, I couldn't resist. For this is one instance where the story at hand intersects with media, politics, my religion, and my advocacy for Mr. Brown. Wow. What is it? Like this guy, he's a thousand years old. He has been a media executive for one thousand years. <laughs> yes, he was an infant media executive. And he's never written an article before. He's left it to the journalist. But he's breaking that now. What has happened that inspired him to do this? Well, it was his own newspaper's mistake, he writes. His own newspaper, the National Post, has made what he feels is like a journalistic error. And he has to clear it up. He says that the Post's article about Patrick Brown lacked what he would argue is important context. Mel, this is what happened here. On May 2nd, the National Post ran an article by Catherine Levesque. The headline was, Patrick Brown under fire for comments about Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Okay? So Patrick Brown's running to be the leader of the Conservative Party, and he was speaking to a Muslim group. And first of all, he sort of breaks with other conservatives in his position that Canada should not relocate its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which is sort of a hot button topic. And he also said, like, look, if we can move super quick for the benefit of Ukrainian refugees, then we can move just as fast to support and help Afghani or refugees from Yemen. And he was then asked, what about Palestinians? And he answered, yes, yes, we also should be able to move fast to help Palestinians. And he said that he was deeply troubled by the violence occurring in Jerusalem. So he is certainly more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause than most conservative candidates. And this was reported by the National Post. And Paul Godfrey is incredibly upset about the very idea that Palestinian refugees might deserve the same consideration as Ukrainian refugees. And he writes that his Jewish community is equally upset. This is egregious. And he wants to set the record straight because Patrick Brown was taken out of context. Nobody should think that Patrick Brown wants to help Palestinian refugees, I guess, is why he felt the need to write this piece. It's wild. It is wild. It is a wild, like, I've read this piece a few times now, and every line I just go, wow, this is kind of the all the justification for the, the hand of God to come down into the editorial pages and say this, this is the, the hill it is time to die on. It's just a wild kind of situation altogether. And also just like a giant, like disrespect to his own 
staff and workers who are doing their jobs to say like, oh, no, 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 no. The people I, you know, pay money, not enough money to do this, did it very wrong. And in fact, I am correct. And I must protect my friend. It's like such a showing of the hand of the influence of media executives in Canada. He just like put it all out on the table, everything that we kind of implicitly know and just like said it. It's 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 wild to me. You got that absolutely right. Like the first thing is just like to his own reporter for him to undermine her journalism. You know, the media has missed the mark. It's not a small thing to say for anybody to say this reporter took this out of context and, and the piece got it wrong. For the chair of Post Media, for the boss's boss's boss, for Paul Godfrey, the executive, for the chair of Post Media to like do this unprecedented thing is a very serious statement undermining that journalist, right? I wonder if the union's going to get involved. I wonder what Catherine Levesque's colleagues think about this, not just because it's sort of improper for him to do this under kind of any circumstances, but he's wrong. He's wrong. She didn't take anything out of context. No, exactly. It's him trying to run damage control PR to specific audiences to change how these comments are being taken, but it doesn't take back the fact the comments were made. That's all accurately reported. That is what he said. Yeah. He absolutely drew that comparison. He absolutely said that thing in context was correct. I mean, like there was some paraphrasing and summary involved, but nothing, no meanings were changed here. So he's just sort of wrong on a factual basis. I take offense that he sort of purports to be representing the Jewish community with this, that, that like the idea that this should offend me, that Patrick Brown would say that Palestinian rights are, are important or Palestinian refugees deserve to have uh, a certain kind of treatment from Canada. Like that, like that, that would be like a, an offensive, egregious statement. Just like speak for yourself, buddy. That's got nothing to do with me. I'll keep counting the ways. As he's wrapping his reporter on the knuckles for some sort of journalistic error, he makes a big journalistic error. He said, in full disclosure, one of my sons has a prominent role in Mr. Brown's campaign. Oh, thank you for that full disclosure. That's all you have to disclose. You know, it's, it's clear that you're an advocate for Patrick Brown and your son has a job with Patrick Brown. I guess that's all you have to disclose. Well, if anybody read Patrick Brown's book, and not many people did, but if anybody read that book, published by Optimum Press, by the way, you would know that Paul Godfrey himself was part of Patrick Brown's previous campaign to be premier of Ontario, and he was in the room strategizing when that campaign fell apart amidst allegations of sexual misconduct by Patrick Brown. His full disclosure is that he himself has a prominent role in Patrick Brown's campaigning, okay? So he is, he is partially disclosing, he's not fully disclosing his role in this, which is a much bigger error even than the one he's accusing Catherine Levesque of, which she did not do. I don't know, like, I get worked up about this kind of stuff. Nobody paid any attention to this article. Like, it was very specifically intended for a very specific audience. It offends me on so many levels because, you know, Patrick Brown wants to keep the support of the right side of Jewish politics in Canada. But if he were to step forward and correct the record himself, if Patrick Brown were to say, oh, no, I didn't mean to stand up for Palestinians, they're nothing like Ukrainians. They, they, they don't deserve anything that Ukrainians deserve. Then he would be gaining uh, hawkish Zionist support at the expense of the Muslim support that he's courting. 
So he can't do it. So he calls in Paul Godfrey to do it, who hijacks the pages of the National Post to undermine his own reporter for this very specific partisan purpose. It's fucking gross. It's wild. And and like I said, it's, you know, I think we talk lots about how the high up ownership of the quote unquote mainstream Canadian press has, you know, hands in you know, many pots and pools, especially related to uh, the Conservative Party and Conservative politicians. Uh, But it is just like, so wild to see it so blatantly just laid out and kind of owned up to of like, it's just he like says word for word, like, I am interested in protecting Patrick Brown. And therefore, I am going to undermine my own journalists to do so. And he just says it. So rarely these people actually just say that. Uh, And it, it kind of blows my mind. Kind of a weird grab bag of topics today, Mel, but there is like one common strain throughout everything except for the Gerald Hannon remembrance. And and that common thread is just like an absolute disdain for the intelligence of the Canadian public. (laughs) That's, That's the theme. Yeah, it's grim. It's grim out there. We got to the place where we try to get to. That shortcuts for this week. Mel Woods, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at jesse at CanadaLand.com. Our website is CanadaLand.com, where you can listen to the first episode of Detour. Please, somebody help me, uh, which uh, is going to be available this weekend, our first ongoing French language show. Mel Woods, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter.com, at Into the Mel Woods. Uh, expect lots of pictures of my awful little cats, uh, and also queer reporting and stuff. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard, with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Our theme music is by so-called syndications handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Listen, if you like what we do and you want to receive premium ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Now is the time. Our sale is on. It will not be on for much longer. Hit the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.